morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the Double L team, Lyle and... Lawson! Lawson, it's a new day. It's a new week. That's it's right. a new opportunity to be thankful for things. What are you thankful for this morning? Okay, okay. So last night was mm. the last night of the year mm. that I was going to stay up absurdly late oh. into the night. So, because- so you're starting your New Year's resolution early. Yeah, yeah. Well, until next year. Because last night right. was the final round of the Formula One World Championship. Yes. In which, and i got to say this in the voice, i got to say this in the, uh, I think it's the Martin Brundle voice, or the other guy, I forget his name, but it's, and Max Verstappen is the Formula One World Champion. <laughs> and, oh, dude, like, I don't think, I'm like laying in bed at like two o'clock in the morning, like going, yes, yes, yes. And then I'm like, oh, no. You woke up the whole neighborhood, right? <laughs> You woke up your whole house. Were you, the, you were the only one in your house that was watching it. Yeah. And everybody got woken up. And everyone got woken up. Yeah, it was it was insane. I don't know if if any of our listeners are big fans of motorsport, but it was definitely like a very momentous occasion and a literally insane race that like a last lap pass caused the win of the entire world championship for the entire year. Wow. A, a, a last uh, so on lap. the last lap of the last race of the year... When the two leading drivers are equal on points, Max Verstappen passes Lewis Hamilton. And, and Lewis thought he had it. Yeah. Well, there's he heaps of it. Like, they had a safety car and a bunch to pack up, and Max got new tyres and Lewis didn't. There's, like, a heaps of other factors that went into it. But essentially, what decided this year's World Championship was a last lap pass. That's pretty epic. So, it was, like, dude, it was, like, exciting. <laughs> the, you know, ninth inning, like, nail-biting stuff, and I was very excited. But now I get to go to sleep early. <laughs> well, and you get to, you know, do things like worship God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep things. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Fantastic stuff. What's happening in the world of positively different news? Oh, all kinds of things, Lyle. All kinds of incredible, amazing, well, just, more interesting things. Yes. So, some very interesting yes. things. Oh, what sh- where should I start? Should I start with Instagram? Why not? Should I start with bird flu? Should I start with Chernobyl? Kind of a wide range There's of- There's a really wide of, range of-, of topics this morning. I'm just sort of wondering how bird flu and Chernobyl are in positively, positively different news. different news. That's right. You are wondering. I'm, I'm not I'm keen on either of those. <laughs> yeah, sure. Actually, let's start with Chernobyl. Okay. So, right. what do we know about Chernobyl? 4,000 people died. Yes, it was a nuclear, nuclear disaster long before you were born. That's right. That's right. Long before you were thought of. Um, but, I was around. But at the I same time, it. it's going to be, um, well, according to when it happened, um, what the government said at that time, uh, it's going to be a disaster t- zone and an uninhabitable zone for very long into the future. In fact, for 24,000 years or Whatever they say that's for radioisotopes to break down. It's going to be some interesting archaeology in 24,000 years' time. Yeah. Which will never happen. Which will never happen, but like, <laughs> yeah, in 24,000 years' time. But, uh, recently they had the 35th, um, commemorative, and that's how I know it's older than me because I'm only 23 and it happened 35 years ago. <laughs> they had the 35, the 35th commemoration of the Chernobyl accident and a Swiss based company called Exalterra has been going there, um, with this system that they've created to essentially they call it the NSPS um, system 
the nuclear separation passage syst- passive system. Um, it's a machine that they've created to essentially denuclearize, decontaminate this area. And from last year, they put it there in 2019, and they've been monitoring their results. From last year in 2020, on the 35th commemora- on the 34th commemoration of the Chernobyl incident, to this year on the 35th commemoration, radioactive uh, pollution within the soil has decreased by 47 percent, and in the air above ground by an average of 37 percent. That's which that's is very impressive, insane. Like mm-hmm. this is like again, um, you know. This is an area that they're like, people can't live here for 24,000 years because that's how long it takes for these isotopes to break down. But they've created this machine um, using, I'm going to explain a little bit how it works because it gets a bit technical. Okay. Uh, but it uses this like series of pipes and different things to basically break down the isotopes all around. I, I, I love the uh, I love the technical language. No, no, no. The series of pipes and the, different the, things. I, I, I meant like the theory behind it. Uh, the technical language, I'm not so familiar with. But <laughs> we'll get to the theory. Essentially, okay, this is how it works. This is how it works. They've, they've yep. installed all these pipes to accelerate the decay, uh, the decay of radioactive elements, and this is this is how they do it. Okay, so basically, um, they have these pipes, and yes. they have these different uh, pieces of matter. Here we go. The the NSPS underground technology was installed at Chernobyl between November 2019 and 2020, and. Ex- uh, significantly accelerated the decay of uh, radioactive elements. It uses a series of tubes that are a specific shape with a designated length and distance between each other, which enables radionuclides to naturally decontaminate at a much faster pace than 24 hours years, uh, 24,000 years as it would take on its own. Um, so, yeah. So, we did have 24,000 years. What have we knocked that back to? So, I assume... Less than that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, essentially, like, yeah, they have a a 10-year goal um, to... Because this is a thing... To make it rehabitable in 10 years? Well, to knock back as much radiation as they possibly can. Okay. So to just smash this thing, because it's like, okay, if you have 50% less radiation than before, you still have radiation. Yes. Which is a problem. But you have 50% less. But you have 50% which less. Is positive. And so I think they're in the space right now of like, if we can knock out as much radiation as possible and then do further tests on, you know, the levels, the levels of radiation that are there versus, you know, seeing at the levels at which radiation affects humans and, you know, the effect on the human body, then they can ultimately come to a conclusion as to whether they can inhabit it again. I wonder whether anybody would actually ever move back there again. No, if, they, if, they, if they came along and said, yeah, it's rehabitable now, go for it. Dude, I wouldn't want to live on top of, like, a garbage tip. Like, there's no, I would never... A nuclear garbage tip. And, but this is literally nuclear garbage tip. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, why would you ever want to move there? Like, it's like, so... Cheap real estate? <laughs> that's right. Just build a tip there. Just turn it into a tip. That's the, There you go. Uh, turn it into a tourist attraction. Oh, that would actually be pretty sick. Because it is, it is a, uh, it, it is a, a city that is frozen in 1986. Mm. Just turn it into a tourist attack, turn it into a big open-air museum. That's actually kind of Because genius. people do go there, but they only go there for brief amounts of time. Because and they wear, like, oxygen masks. And, and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Because you'll die if you stay too long. Yeah. 
But oh. you've got to have like the the paperwork to get, to get in there is just apparently just off the charts. It's really hard to get in there. Yeah, totally. Well, it's like protected by the military. Yes. to this day because yes. they don't want people to walk in there. No, yeah, that's right. And so, well, you know, that's the thing though. It's like once they can get it down to the point where you just can walk in there with a like COVID face mask, then it's good to go. <laughs> yeah, <COVID laughs> that, that's how we mask. that's how we live our lives now. So like it should be, should be good to go. All right. In other news, this is this is really interesting. We've been covering the Instagram story. And last time we talked about Instagram and that they had put in some different features to, you know, restrict screen time and give parental controls and whatnot, it was on the eve of their Senate hearing. Now they've had their Senate hearing, and now we can see what they've said about their future as a company and how they will be protecting people um, and protecting in spe- specifically children. And we're going to see and evaluate, okay, is this good news? What has been said uh, by Adam Mosery, who is the... CEO and the, you know, the, the chief of Instagram um, is that, so this is, he's like, he, he recognizes, he's like, I know that many people in this room, they have a deep reservation uh, against our company, deep reservations uh, because of the, the information that's coming out. But then he says, I want to assure you that we do have the same goal. We all want teens to be safe online. The internet isn't going away. And I believe there's important work that we can do together industry and policymakers to raise the standards across the internet to better serve and protect young people. So essentially the appeal that's made here by Instagram is that we need to bring on hard government legislation to protect children online. Mm -hmm. So the government needs to control social medias to protect children online. Yeah, yes. this is one of these this is one of these discussions where there's no win. That's right. There's just no way of winning this. This is the this is the world in which we live because you bring in all of this legislation to protect children, you know that's going to infringe on freedom of speech. And now basically what you've got over the last, you know, 15, 20 years is the rise of citizen media, mm. uh, which has had an often very different narrative to mainstream media. Mm. And that's had its good things. Yeah, it's had its positives because it's like, well, there's an alternative to mainstream media. You can you can listen to what the average person on the street is saying and thinking. Uh, now we're going back to that's being censored as well. At the same time, we have to recognise that social media is incredibly dangerous for children. That's right. And something has to be done about it. And this is what he brings up. He says the reality is is that, like, even if we fix Instagram, kids are going to go to TikTok and YouTube. And, of course they are. Like, they're going to yes. go, like, wherever, like, where yeah. there is a social media. Uh-huh. So that's why they're appealing for government regulations. Like, oh, to be a social media, there needs to be a level of government regulations that you need to be able to hit. But as you've just mentioned now, then that kind of can stifle free speech. And yep, so you've opened that door. Basically, you've like opened that door, you can't close it again. The fear that everyone has ever had about social media, in terms of from the freedom of speech perspective, is now being appealed to. At the same time, it's like we need to keep keep our kids safe. What would be the ultimate solution to this? Um, we already we already had this conversation. And we came to the conclusion that um, parents need to be parents and look after their children online and so and so i think that's the way to go but if we see that you know if the if the senate here agrees and they're like all right let's restrict social media in the united states and that sets precedents for all over the world so we'll see we'll track this how this is going forward zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call give us some thoughts you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm 
positively different. <laughs> okay, right. let's see here. We've got so many interesting stories we could talk about this morning. Should we start with uh, Forrest Hump? <laughs> Forrest Hump. Forrest Hump the camel. So Forrest Hump the camel was having a fun time uh, as a part of a nativity scene, a bit like a Road to Bethlehem kind of uh, uh-huh. deal that they were having in Kansas City in the United States. Classic. And, uh, yeah, he got, kind of got bored of the kids after a while, so he decided to go for a bit of an explore around Kansas City. He hadn't seen Kansas City before, so it's like, <laughs> why not take the opportunity? And, what a tourist. Yeah, so he headed <laughs> off down the, uh, the K7 highway, found himself a, a really pleasant golf course, uh, spent some time wandering around the golf course. Of course, the police were called out to um, take Forrest Hump back into custody. Um, and so they've turned up at the golf course, jumped in some golf carts like you do on the movies. Uh-huh. But this wasn't on the movies. Well, they, they have to. They can't drive the car on the golf course. It's well, like you know, illegal yeah, or something. So they're, they're roaring around. The, and they found that camels are a lot faster than golf carts. <laughs> Didn't realise this before. Have you seen camel racing? Camel racing is insane. It's like like more money gets spent on camel racing than horse racing. Yeah, and they like... They're fast. And they put... So, because, okay, they do it primarily in Qatar. Yes. And I have a bunch of friends from Qatar when I was living overseas in yes. Spain. Yes. And they were telling me that, so, in, in camel racing, they were putting smaller and smaller people and then children on the camels to make them go faster. Yes. So, now they just put robots on them. Yes, that's they have right. robot-controlled uh-huh. uh-huh. camels. Do. Dude, they camels do. are fast as. They are. Yeah. And, and a, a golf cart maxes out at about 40 kilometres an hour. There's no way you're going to catch a camel <laughs> with that. <laughs> anyway, so um, Forrest Hump, actually, um, he spent about 24 hours exploring <laughs> Kansas City <laughs> before he, he was, evaded the police. He evaded, he evaded everybody, animal control, police, farmers, everybody who went out there is like, yeah, no, not yet. <laughs> I uh, got to have a little bit of joy in your life at Christmas time. Oh, that's so um, awesome! And that's a great Christmas that story, is right so there. Funny. We probably should talk about some more serious stories. Um, but so let's talk about Justin the plumber. I uh, don't know his last name, but Justin the plumber. So he's the guy who found six hundred thousand dollars in the wall yeah. at uh, Joel Olstein's church. It's, tell, please tell me that he was the one who stole it originally. No, he wasn't. Okay. No, he was a really decent guy. Okay, awesome. So, so this is actually a really cool story. So he, he finds this, um, you know, and and I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about your church where you attend. Whoever you you know, mm-hmm. um, I think most of us have a church that we attend at some place. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think your church would react if you found six hundred? If if you were just a random plumber and you turned up and found six hundred thousand dollars, and you're working by yourself as Justin the plumber was, mm. and you turned the money in, you didn't keep it. Yeah, because he was just it was just a simple job of replacing a a, a toilet, and he was just one of the locals, uh, just a local contractor, works mm. for himself, has no employees, uh, got called in to do this one job. There was nobody else there. Find six hundred thousand dollars, and calls the building executive and turns it over. Mm. I, I think you would get thanked for that. Yeah. Well, actually, for that very reason, well, not finding six hundred thousand dollars in you know the wall of the church, but I was actually sitting in my church last week while the air conditioner repairmen were doing air conditioner repairs. Did they find? Any money behind no. the egg? That's just sad. No, anyway, so um, this is uh, a Joel Olstein's church, of course, and uh, you know, I I would expect that you know, if a plumber did that in my church, I'd I'd, I'd want to thank him kind of publicly and all the rest. But mm. uh, um, Justin, the plumber, who is kind of on hard times, he lives in a trailer home with his mm. fiance and his son. You know, they're just they're they're doing it tough. They're just you know. A couple of American battlers is what they are. Yeah, that's we talk right. about Aussie battlers. These are 
American battlers. Yep. And, uh, yeah, hasn't heard a word from Joel Osteen's church until he started to get, you know, interviews on radio and so forth. Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks later. And then, you know, one of the officials from Joel Osteen's church calls him up, like, oh, yeah, we really want to thank you for that. But then he gets a $20,000 reward. Oh, that's a, yeah. But not from Joel Olstein's church. From who? Okay, so what the- happened was that when the money was stolen, um, Joel Olstein's church employed a local uh, Crime Stoppers um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. private investigating kind of uh, company, paid them $20,000 to track down the money. They were able to generate no leads whatsoever yeah. at all. And so they never really used the money that they were paid. And so they're like, you know what? We're just going to give it to this guy. He's a deserving guy. He's on hard times. He's doing it tough. Um, so we'll we'll just just pass the blessing on. And so they did. The Crime Stopper Company. The Crime Stopper Company did. <laughs> but still nothing from Joel Osteen's church. You would think they would be like, yeah, $600,000, thank you. We'll, we'll give you a bit of a reward for this and we'll get you up the front and you can meet our celebrity pastor and have lunch with Sydney's him. Sydney's Ferrari. Yeah, that he just bought. That's right. Yeah, go for a fly in his private jet. Uh, I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be um, sarcastic, but you know, mm. uh, it just goes to show that you know there are some grassroots, down to earth people in our world who are just the best of best people, mm. and who actually live their Christianity. Mm. Uh, because that would have been tempta- tempting for everybody. They did actually find out how the they believe they know how the money got there because this is one of these um, bathrooms that has you know you can push the, the ceiling tiles up. Yes, okay. And so somebody's pushed the ceiling tile up and they've tossed the money in and it's fallen down the wall cavity. And so they can't come back and get it. They've lost the whole thing. Oh, that's a mystery solved, dude. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> It's like oh, you get away with dude, the heist of a it's lifetime. It's the ultimate heist foiled in the worst way. Yeah. Literally, the money went down the toilet. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> oh, this is just awesome. Anyway, we did say that we should talk about Victoria, and this is a uh, definitely a more serious story uh, because Victoria now allows the intentional denial of a child of having a mother, of ever having a mother. Wait, what? So we're not talking about you know removing a child from its mother. We're talking about bringing a child into do existence and denying its possibility of ever having a mother. How does that work? Yeah. Okay. So this is a campaign that has been mounted by a forty-four-year-old Sean Resnick. Um, he has not been able to find himself a uh, a male partner to get married to, but um, he has won his case to have a child via surrogacy. And so for this child, it is impossible for this child to ever have a mother. And the thing that goes through my mind is how unbelievably selfish uh, is it to intentionally deny a child its right to a mother just because you want to satisfy, satisfy the desires of an adult man? Yeah. That's, that's, that's because it's like, well, I want a child for me because this will make me feel good. This is not about I want what's best for this child. Wow. This is really cold. This is ice cold. Mm. Um, and, and the simple reality is there's no, <clears throat> nobody has a right to have a child. Mm. It's a privilege to have a child. Nobody has a right to have a child. Children have rights, mm. and children have rights to parents. 
Yes. And to having their needs met. And we get that there are bad parents and we've got to remove children from time to time and that that's a tragedy, but all research shows that the best outcome for any child is if it can be raised by its biological parents of either gen- of, of, of both genders, male and female parent, mm. biological parents. That is the goal that our legislation should be aiming for because that's what builds strong society. But no, we're like, no, we're going to actually create children we are going to purposely create children that never have the possibility of having a mother. Mm. That's it's just really uh, um, terrible stuff. And, it, okay, what else do you expect from Victoria? It's just like Victoria going down the path of Victoria always goes down. Finally, uh, in Spain, a place where you lived for a while, the bishop over there has just uh, um, been suspended even so that he cannot serve as a bishop because of his marriage. That's happened before. But the interesting one about this is... Spain's youngest and most up-and-coming bishop, made bishop at the age of 41. He's been doing it for about 12, uh, 13 years. But the woman that he married is a Satanist. Uh, so that's pretty wild. Interesting world in which we really live. really wild. Yeah. Particularly for somebody who used to do and promote exorcisms. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so I did get another reminder on the weekend, as I do from time to time, to read the number slowly. Oh, ah. Uh. Yes. So let's read the number slowly. And here's what I want you to do. Save this number in your phone. And even if you miss it the first time around, just yeah. keep going because we will repeat it many times yeah. and you'll be able to get the numbers down and save it in your phone. And then you don't have to That's listen right. for the numbers each time because, you know, my brain won't remember a full phone number. <laughs> Mine does. Th- this one specifically. This one, yes. oh, anyway, it's- here, write it down. Put it in your phone, then you've got it. 0491 There you go. All right, joining us on the phone this morning is Dr. John Anderson. Dr. John Anderson, welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning, Lyle. Thank you. Now, of course, you come from uh, Creation Ministries International, and we have you guys on once a month. It's always a huge blessing to have uh, Creation Ministries um, come on the show, and I'm wondering whether uh, at the beginning of our inter- interview today you can ex- spend a little bit of time explaining to us uh, what what you're actually all about at Creation Ministries. Look, uh, thanks for the opportunity of doing that, Lyle, because uh, uh, I think it's very important uh, because we're not really uh, there to uh, bash evolutionists or evolution, and a lot of people uh, seem to think that. What we're really there for is to proclaim the truth of the whole Bible. And, uh, uh, I mean, it is either the Word of God or it isn't. Now, if you have a look at what uh, evolution says, it says that the uh, the world's, world's been going on for uh, millions of years in the same way, uh, that uh, we've all evolved, we, uh, we weren't created, and there never was a, uh, a global flood to... Uh, uh, change the uh, earth or whatever. So uh, it therefore says that the uh, the Bible's not true and consequently it can't be the word of God. Now, the problem is if any part of the Bible is undermined, you undermine the uh, the whole of it, including the uh, the truth of the main event because it's in the same book. And of course that main event is the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, 
if people are able to dismiss that as fable because they think that uh, the rest of the book is fable, then that's going to have eternal consequences for them. Because uh, when one of my favourite verses in Scripture is in Acts 17, where Paul is talking to the Greeks in Athens, and uh, he says that uh, God has uh, overlooked uh, previous uh, ignorance, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he set a day on which he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man who he's appointed. And he's given proof of this by raising him from the dead. Now, uh, if we want to fulfill the, uh, the Great Commission, and I mean every uh, Christian has got that responsibility, then we can't afford to go into all the world with a book that's uh, untrustworthy. And that's why uh, we feel at Creation Ministries that we're obliged to uh, counter evolutionary teaching and articles because they undermine the truth of the Word of God. And I suppose that's uh, probably my summary, Lyle, is uh, is, uh, what motivates me with Creation Ministries. Yeah, for sure. Now, when it comes to, you know, various, I guess you could call them um, attacks or threats or whatever to the uh, truthfulness, the believableness of the Bible story, is evolution the biggest attack on the truthfulness of the Bible? Look, uh, we would say it is because uh, it's there constantly. And, uh, I mean, uh, children are taught at, uh, at school and they're taught that there is no alternative. Uh, the, really, evolution, uh, actually, when you boil it all down, says there is no God. It is a, uh, a system of atheistic teaching because it demands that there's a, a naturalistic or uh, uh, ordinary explanation for everything that doesn't include, uh, include God. Therefore, it is... Uh, uh, as uh, one of our speakers has said, it's atheism dressed up in a lab coat. So really, yeah, we think it's probably the uh, the greatest, uh, and a lot of surveys have indicated this, it's the greatest single barrier to people coming to faith in Jesus because they dismiss the whole book and therefore they think, well, I don't really have to worry about that Jesus event because that's probably not true either. So, yeah, uh, we would say that it is the uh, the greatest barrier to people coming to Christ, and therefore it's uh, one of the most important things that uh, uh, Christians should be targeting. A lot of Christians today would uh, would disagree and would say that, no, we can have evolution and the Bible at the same time. Is that a tenable position? Is that even possible? Uh, we don't believe it is. Uh, I mean, you can't. Uh, you can't have that and still claim that the Bible is the Word of God. That's the whole thing. If it is the uh, the Word of God, then it is true, and it's true in its history and its science. And I must say, uh, when I first became a Christian and uh, I started asking people uh, for explanations as to uh, how to marry what I read in uh, the book of Genesis particularly with with what the uh, uh, my evolutionary teaching had been, then uh, I I only got explanations. I didn't know what they were called at that time, but I do know what they're called now. Explanations that really didn't satisfy me. And uh, even as a new Christian, I thought, this book uh, is either the Word of God or it isn't. And uh, if it is, then it's going to be true. So I set myself to uh, believing it right from the very first verse. And uh, as things happened, uh, the Lord unfolded to me 
an explanation through organisations like Creation Ministries as to uh, as how you could uh, see that evolution was untrue and the Word of God was true right from the very first verse. Absolutely. Now, I'm just wondering because, you know, we talk about uh, evolution being, you know, the biggest threat that there is to um, the truthfulness of the Bible because it is constantly in front of us, it's constantly being taught. But isn't it also being observed? I mean, we see changes taking place in the natural world. Yeah. Well, look, that's a, uh, that, that's a common statement too, because uh, whenever you read a, uh, an evolutionary article on the, the science news or something like that, they always refer to change as being uh, evolution. But of course, change isn't evolution. The, uh, the, the problem with evolutionary belief is that it really requires, if you want to change uh, microbes into men, you've got to be adding genetic information all the time. And uh, that's never, ever been observed. And uh, when you talk about changes in the existing genetic information, and I mean the expression that we use in genetics is mutations, Uh, the word just really means change, Uh, mutations really, uh, when you boil it all down, are the substitution of one nucleotide base by another, and those changes are invariably damaging. And you can compare it with uh, a computer program that's properly functioning. If you try randomly changing uh, any part of that computer program, it doesn't run as well. And it's the same in uh, our genetic code. If you start changing and fiddling with it, then it doesn't run as well. There is no evidence of it ever being added to, and there is really no evidence of any of those changes ever uh, ever producing any good. Now, sometimes paradoxically, they may help in the uh, survival of the creature, and I can give an example of that uh, this morning, but really uh, the changes are always in the uh, wrong direction. So it's just a reshuffling of existing genetic information. It's never adding to it. So if you can't add to it, you can't get from a lower creature to a higher creature. It's as simple as that. Okay, so you can. So basically, what you're saying is, then we can get from a higher creature to a lower creature, but not the other way around. I, I find it interesting that you mentioned that for evolution to be true and for it to be observable, you would have to see new information constantly being added. But then, from what what I'm hearing you saying is that we are constantly seeing change, but it is constantly information being deleted rather than added. Would that be fair to say? Yes, yes, that would be fair to say. And look, there was a uh, a great article that uh, I read fairly recently that's a perfect example of that. And uh, this was an article on supposed uh, evolution occurring in African elephants. And I think they were talking about uh, uh, the country of Mozambique. And the change that they were observing was a great increase in the number of uh, female African elephants that didn't have tusks. Now, uh, tusks are very important to elephants. It enables them to strip bark off trees and dig in the ground and so on. And there does seem to be this great increase in uh, tuskless female elephants. 
Now, of course, the uh, the article called that evolution, but uh, it's now been discovered what the uh, the reason is, and uh, uh, elephants, female elephants with two uh, harmful genetic changes. Uh, don't grow tusks, but they tend to survive better because the poachers don't shoot them. There's no point. They haven't got any tusks. But uh, So there's a great increase in the number of female elephants because there are two mutations involved, and one of them is a mutation on their X chromosome, and of course the female elephants have got two X chromosomes, and uh, with that mutation, uh, it uh, means they often miscarry male elephant uh, babies that they're, they're carrying. So we are seeing this increase in uh, uh, tuskless African female elephants, but it's not evolution. It's going in the wrong direction. Now, it does help their survivability because the poachers don't shoot them. But uh, it really is not helpful to them in their everyday life as elephants. This, I mean, this seems to be something that, you know, would be a common thread through the changes that we see taking place in our world. And I've seen probably numerous stories of, you know, where we'll look at the, how these animals have adapted to this kind of environment by these kinds of changes. You know, they have smaller heads than what they had before or they don't have wings or whatever it might be. Um, but it seems to consistently be, always be a loss of information. Have are there evolutionists who are picking up on this and actually seeing that actually this is devolution rather than or they're devolving rather than evolving? Uh, look, I'm sure they're aware of it, Lyle, but they probably dismiss it because uh, you can't you can't get an, a a paper published if you make any suggestion as to uh, uh, the, the um, unlikely possibility of evolution. Your paper must be absolutely supportive and can't afford to have anything to do with uh, creation or uh, uh, direction of change. You see, by definition, uh, evolution is uh, directionless, and so you can't even suggest that it uh, looks like it's designed because design is just not allowed. So uh, I'm sure they are aware of this, but as the old saying goes for uh, for all scientists, publish or perish. If they want to get uh, uh, grants and uh, so on to carry out research, they really have to toe the party line or they won't get them. And so you can't afford to get a paper published that even suggests design or creation. It's got to emphasize uh, in some way the truth of evolution. So really it's a, uh, uh, it, it's a, it's a bind that they're in even if they do recognise that the change is in the wrong direction. Could we say then that natural selection has produced a uh, group of scientists who refuse to then look at some of the uh, evidence that is available to them because they won't survive unless they toe the party line? Look, look, I think that's true, and uh, uh, a lot of uh, university appointments, you know, you, uh, you really have to toe the party line or you won't keep the appointment, and a lot of uh, the universities are funded by, uh, by other uh, interests, so, uh, you know, you, sh- you really have to toe the party line or you won't get the funding that you require. And the problem with uh, peer-reviewed papers is that uh, when you submit a paper to your peers for review, then 
the reviewers are people who uh, follow the party line. So if you don't, then you're not going to get your paper published. It'll end up in the uh, round filing cabinet on the floor. Yes, absolutely. Dr. John Anderson, thank you so much for joining us here. We do appreciate uh, everything that you guys do at Creation Ministries International. Uh, very quickly, before we go, how do we interact with uh, CMI, Creation Ministries International? Well, people uh, should be aware, well, we trust that they are aware of our website, and uh, that is a very simple one to remember, creation.com. And anybody who's uh, listening today who's got any questions in the uh, creation, evolutionary issue, or even theological issues, there is a search window on the website that uh, enables you to type in whatever question you have, and it will bring up a whole list of articles on that uh, topic. You can read them online. You can print them out. It's all absolutely free. You don't have to register. You just Google creation.com and you're on the website and you can ask it whatever questions you like. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Dr. John Anderson. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.